Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, August 4th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. Every now and again, what kind of pies? I would say like every paper talks about what kind of pie. That's not true. Every now and again, you'll get a paper that talks about what to do with reefer, all right? And and also columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Thursday, August 4th, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, he's with us right now. Looks like he's about to be interrogated by the FBI or something. You can relax. (laughs) It's Michael Girardi. And now your host, FBI. Go interrogate this guy. And he's the one you want to talk about here. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this J.B. Punts and Rodney Speaks Thursday. And here's why. I'm going to pat myself on the back, ladies and gentlemen. God damn. Not as limber as I used to be. Uh, because I'm doing like a real, I'm like really multimedia today. So for my opening remarks, I'm relying on all kinds of things. I got my cell phone here. I'm showing the guest the cell phone because I have a uh, text that someone sent to me. Listener Frank, thank you, uh, which I will riff on. Uh, I have my newspaper, today's newspaper, which I studifully circled something. And here's the bonus. As part of the interview with the distinguished guest, I have... My laptop. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just call me a millennial, man. Ben, Got focus. Focus, Ben. Uh, focus, please. Don't lose focus. <laughs> my laptop. You go, wait a minute. Long-time listeners to Ben Drosky go, wait a minute. I thought the laptop was broken, Ben. Oh, I got it fixed. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that is the talk of social media, that laptop Ben Jarofsky saga going Wait a on. Minute. Hold on. This is inconsistent. You, last week you said your laptop was broken. Love it when my listeners, imaginary listeners, yeah. hold me accountable for the things they say. Anyway, let's start with uh, JB. Oh, well, I love you, JB. You know, I voted for you last time. Uh, but you are a dancer, okay? And you earned that nickname. Uh, J.B. Travolta and Sugar Ray Pritzker. Remember those good days, D? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this one from uh, listener Frank sent this to me about, I don't know, 
a half hour before I went on the air. I was completely unaware of it. Why? Because it was a tweet. Okay. You want to keep Ben ignorant? Put it in Twitter. Uh, but it's a tweet from our good friend, Gregory Pratt, uh, at the Chicago Tribune City Hall reporter. Uh, and uh, this is an interesting, <laughs> I already said this to Dennis, but uh, this is the tweet uh, from Greg Pratt. Governor J.B. Pritzker punts when asked about endorsing Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Quote, I'm engaged in my own campaign, as you know, for re-election as governor. And so those of us who live in the city of Chicago will consider the question of the mayoralty after the November election. End of quote. <laughs> oh, J.B., that was smooth. That was smooth. He's quick on his feet. Yeah, woo! DB, DB Bailey right now, Darren Bailey's like, how come I can't dance as smooth as JB? Here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. It's not like, oh, I can't do two things at once. Because <laughs> I'm running now, and i got to wait till the, after I'm running. Then I can focus, give my full attention to the mayor's race. No, here's the real deal, folks. You heard it first in the Ben Dorofsky show. 50% of the city of Chicago cannot stand Lori Lightfoot for one reason or another, for one political ideology to another. My beloved lefties can't stand her. The right wing can't stand her. Although some people have told me there may be a little posturing there. Who knows? The fact of the matter is a lot of people can't stand her. All right. They don't like her. And for that very reason, she'll probably get reelected because Chicagoans love electing mayors that they don't like. The meaner and nastier and the more bully they are, the more Chicagoans will vote for them. We've seen that in time after time after time. So I have no doubt that Lori Life will be reelected probably because she's so thoroughly unlikable. But J.B. Pritzker's no fool. He's not going to risk antagonizing one group or another that dislikes her. So it's just, ah, you know, I, I'm so busy. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so busy with my reelection campaign. I don't have time to even think about the city of Chicago. And by the way, folks, I got a feeling to quote the Beatles that J.B. Pritzker probably is in the don't like her camp. Could you remember those texts we had? Uh, it was Greg Pratt was on the show talking about the mean, nasty text that Lori Lightfoot said to J.B. Pritzker. If somebody was sending me texts like that, I wouldn't like them either. So, J.B., it's totally understandable that you would not like Lori Lightfoot. I get it. But that's funny. because The excuses politicians come up for the things they do. Oh, I'm so busy. I don't time. Meanwhile, he does have time to get involved. I just like to point this out in all kinds of Republican elections. That's funny. You had, you had time to get involved in the Republican primary. Of course, uh, with these camp uh, commercials, let me ask my distinguished guest about this, even though I didn't prep him for it. Uh, the, the, the commercials that uh, uh, Pritzker and de various Democrats uh, have been airing to sort of foster the campaigns of a really loony tune nutcases uh, in MAGA. Now, I know a lot of you listeners going, Ben, come on. You're just repeating yourself. Looney Tune nutcases, first of all, is repetition. And Looney Tune nutcases in MAGA is three repetition. Because all of MAGA is Looney Tune and nutcases. Yes, good point. But there's a real extremist uh, part of MAGA. And they're now poised to take over in Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Forgetting any other states after uh, yesterday's primary, Kansas. So it's like a very dangerous moment uh, if you like kind of believe in democracy, you know, like election rules and stuff. They're going to change all the election rules so that they can declare themselves the winners even when they've lost. That's so kind of a scary thing. And the Democrats, who at one degree or another, have promoted this. Uh, and this is where my New York Times comes in handy. 
because uh, I'm going to say something that I never thought I would say. I kind of agree with Adam Kinzinger in this point. Uh, Dennis, please don't tell Heidi Henry I'm saying this. Uh, but I kind of agree with Adam Kinzinger. Adam Kinzinger, of course, the right-wing uh, congressman from uh, northern Illinois, uh, who's made a name for himself by daring to vote against Donald Trump and stand up against Donald Trump and uh, proclaim that uh, he has an interest greater than party, and that is uh, – democracy in the United States. So kind of won me over with that idea, but I disagree with him on pretty much everything else. But he said this about uh, the Democratic strategy of getting involved in Republican campaigns by fostering people that are really scary and out of their freaking minds. Quote, it's disgusting. You're going to have election deniers win in November. Uh, so while I think a certain number of Democrats truly understand that democracy is threatened, don't come to me after spending money supporting election denier in a primary and then come to me and say, where are all the good Republicans? You know, I mean, you got to give him credit. Heidi, please don't hold it against me. I think he makes some sense in that. Where are all the good Republicans? Well, you helped to feed them. And they're not good anyway. And that brings me to Rodney Davis. Third leg of the trifecta, the phone. All right, here we go. Huh, D, is this good or what? Yeah, take notes, so, Pritzker, huh? <laughs> wait a minute, wrong thing. Oh, Jesus. Ah, okay, don't. Oh, let's still, <laughs> don't take notes. Wait, where is it? Hold it. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Stahl. Talk about. Oh, um, here we go. All right. Talk hey. about rock and roll in uh, Alton. How's it going, right, everybody? Go. Oh, okay. Sh- here we go. Shia Kapos got it. All right. Oh, come on. It's the problem. All right, so Shia Kapos from uh, Illinois Playbook, Politico. Kind of exclusive interview with Rodney Davis. And all my listeners out there, well, who is Rodney Davis? Well, Rodney Davis is a congressman from downstate Illinois uh, who was gerrymandered into the same district as Mary Miller, another a congresswoman from downstate Illinois. And they had a duked it out, two Republicans duking it out uh, in the primary. Uh, and Mary Miller prevailed. I think she got like 58% of the vote. Don't call me in that day. Uh, and she prevailed to a large degree because Donald John Trump came to Illinois about a week before the election and gave a big rally for her and DB, Darren Bailey. Okay. So he, Donald Trump stepped in and endorsed Mary Miller. Uh, and I think that had a large uh, role, played a role, uh, in, uh, her winning. In fact, I'm not the only one who thinks that Rodney Davis, who lost to Mary Miller thinks that I will now read you the quotes uh, from Rodney Davis as delivered to Shia Kapos. Uh, on losing the primary election in June to fellow Republican Mary Miller, Davis said, quote, it sucked. President Trump did what he intended to do, which was change the turnout vote. Turnout was much higher in areas that he focused. I've got to give it to him and his campaign strategists. They knew what they had to do and did it and got it done. Our polling, our data had us in the lead up until we weren't on election night. Trump's free to do what he wants to do, and in the end, it worked out for him. Hmm. Okay? So notice how the neutrality of that. Notice how he just, there's an absence of bitterness, uh, an, an, ab, an absence of anger at him. If someone undercut me that way, I'd be stewing and steaming in my room. And when, when people would call me up, I'd be like, well, I really don't want to say anything bad about the guy. But once I got warmed up, it's like a ball going down a hill. And I start just ranting and raving and pulling out my hair. And that's what Rodney Davis is probably like when he's talking to like a friend or his wife or his family. That mother beep Trump beep and cut me off. I had the election in a bag and then he showed up. But when he goes public with it, uh, uh, censor time, he cancels his own culture, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. 
Why? And I'll tell you why. <laughs> Here you go. He was asked whether he tends to run again. And he said, I initially said I'd probably never run again. And then some longtime supporters called and they said, never say never. So we'll see. In other words, he thinks he has a future in politics. And if he wants to remain a Republican, and he clearly does. He can't antagonize Trump. Can't say anything bad about Trump. Like Mike Pence. Look, freaking Trump's was calling to kill Mike Pence, not Trump himself, but his, his allies. And Mike Pence is like, well, you know, we just don't agree on everything. He, I, these Republicans are so afraid of Trump. Rodney Davis. So who does Rodney Davis most mad at about all this? Pritzker. <laughs> He's mad at Pritzker because Pritzker sponsored those ads that undid the... Uh, you know, that contributed to MAGA winning, sort of contributed uh, to MAGA winning elections. I think those ads are really stupid. I'm against them. But come on, Ronnie Davis. You said it. You lost because Donnie Trump came to Illinois and said you weren't MAGA-y enough. And that's what the election hinged on. Who was the maggie person in that district? And he said it was Mary Miller. And so you lost. So... Stop blaming J.B. Pritzker. Stop blaming Democrats. And if you're really mad, blame the man who did it, Donnie Trump. And don't be so scared. All right. Got that off my mind. And I did it with two different things. The laptop actually will come in with an interview uh, with the great Michael Girardi. Welcome back, Cotter, to the show, Michael Girardi. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Michael Girardi is, of course, uh, the rock and roll superstar from the southwest side of Chicago. I call him the Neil Young of Chicago. He's written about, well, I don't know how many songs he's written total uh, in his life, but at least four of them have been on, uh, you so kindly lent them to our show. Uh, am I correct? Four? I'm doing this off the top of my head. Four, well, is it? Last time you had me on, you said 14. So every time the number gets <laughs> yeah, yeah. smaller and smaller. I think it's about 11, right? Going backwards here. <laughs> Remember what I said at the top of the show? Some listener will hold me accountable for <laughs> You can guarantee it. And now next on uh, Girardi's list is in Ben. What about that laptop you said was broken? I'll get to that. All right, 14, 4. I mean, let's just do it. 4 and 14 is 18. Let's do a half. 9. You've done 9 shows. Uh, 9 songs for the vendor. Sounds good. Uh, and, uh, so I just want to give a special shout out to, to Michael. Uh, he's a dear friend of the show, not just because he listens and lends us songs, uh, but he sends me texts from time to time, provocative messages that are like the text versions of the song. He, he writes, they, all they lack are the guitar, the stinging, angry guitar. I get these at all. Mike, you got a weird sleeping habits. Cause I'll get them like a three in the morning or something. Here comes Girardi. Uh, <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. And then uh, I'll call, all right, can I use this on the air? I'm like, some I can use, some I can't use, all right? Ah, uh, yes. But they're all good, man. They all get me thinking. And I'm like, wow, I go for my walk. I'm like, yeah, man, Jordy's on to something there. So we're going to riff on a couple of those uh, that he sent me. We're going to have some fun with that uh, riffing on it. But I also have to share this one, Mike. Uh this one was pretty funny, and uh, oh, come on, Dennis. You got to laugh at ourselves sometimes because it is pretty pathetic. 
So we did a great show yesterday. Wait, where's Girardi? I got to find it. Oh, here he is. Um, going back to the cell phone. Uh, so I thought we did an outstanding show yesterday. I'm Monroe Anderson and Tom Brune, my old editor, uh, who just did a story about uh, John McDermott uh, and the, sh- the founding of the Chicago Reporter and how Cardinal Cody and uh, Mayor Daly, way back with the old Mayor Daly in the 60s, Richard J. Daly teamed up to keep McDermott from getting a, a plum uh, federal appointment. Uh, and having not got that job, he went and created the Chicago Reporter and one thing led to another, and I got a job. <laughs> so it worked out well for me. Uh, thank you, Mayor Daly. Um, but uh, so anyway, I thought it was a great show. I was all pumped up. I was feeling really good. And this followed Tuesday night's show at the hideout. Uh, Michael was there. HM was there. Uh, another really a good friend of the show. And they were just singing our praise and telling us what a great job we're doing and loving Dennis's stuff. And so yesterday I get this text from Mike. Uh, <laughs> uh did anyone tell you that today's episode is just yesterday's episode uploaded again? This is when I'm walking. I'm on my walk, Michael. I'm like walking down the road. thinking really good about myself. I'm like, Oh no. And it turns out there was some kind of, I don't know. Whatever. Let's just throw Dennis under the bus. It was Dennis's fault. Watch Mike. This is the part that'll get cut out of the show. You watch when you listen to this, you, this won't be here. Somebody, and they'll stitch it together with a computer voice. And they'll have me saying it was all my fault. Uh, anyway. Uh, so I dutifully called Dennis. He dutifully corrected it as all well. Uh, and then you texted back. I, I t- told you that you were the only one who noticed it. And we had over a hundred uh, downloads by the time you sent that in. And then you wrote, guess the only people who heard today's show were you, Dennis, and the guys in the unmarked van outside your house, which is typical Girardi subversive humor. The joke of it was, and I am not making this up, people, all day <laughs> yesterday, there had been a van outside my house. I'm like, what the f-? I told my wife, I couldn't even get the words out. There's a van outside the house. Girardi weighs in. And then Dennis hypothesized. It could be Mike Girardi in that van. Mm-hmm. Was that you in the van yesterday, Michael? No, I just have the worst timing when I make jokes. Yeah, well, that joke hit uh, hit home anyway. So thank you for alerting us. We, we corrected it. Uh, and all is well in the Bendrovsky universe. And it was a, just a humble reminder uh, when you're feeling really good about yourself, <laughs> sometimes you come down a notch. Life is the balance between the highs and the lows. And we are, in reality, you know, an old lefty in an attic and a young libertarian uh, in his closet doing a show. Remember, you can download all 1,400 Ben Jarofsky shows at <laughs> chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Man, do we, we crank them out, D. We really do. By the way, we've expanded our uh, production staff. I just got to give a shout out to Chris Shaggy. who will be joining us for doing some shows. Uh, Dennis will be missing, missing some time in the coming weeks. Uh, he's about to be a dad, uh, Mike. So, uh, well, first just, of all, congratulations, broke Dennis. that news on the show. What's that? He just broke that news on the show. I, I think we already broke it before, hadn't we? No, that's Mike, the first time. Rescue, Mike. Just say yes, we broke it. Just out. You know, <laughs> no, you told me off air. Oh, <laughs> oops. Uh, so, well, you know what? We'll know if Dennis wants to know because guess what? He'll edit it out if he doesn't <laughs> want to know. All right. Uh, I've got two outstanding texts uh, that you sent me that I want to uh, talk about taxing the rich, which I've been read on the show several times. I've read it to guests and asked them to respond. Their responses, in my humble opinion, <laughs> 
not been that good. Uh, and uh, it's a very provocative text and it's made me think a lot uh, about messaging and where the Democrats need to go if they're to win over voters. All right. Uh, and then the other one uh, about heroin and uh, fentanyl uh, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Dr. Allison Awadi. Wow. <laughs> we'll go there too and mix messages and the war on drugs. Our twisted attitude as a society toward drugs. We'll get into And Lollapalooza. Let's throw that one in there. Uh, so before we do that, you got a song for us, Michael? I promised the listeners you would sing a song. Yeah, so I thought I would do uh, the ballad of an indicted alderman, which, uh, whoops, uh, that was uh, something I thought was a real cool moment was when I did this one last year, and uh, you played it, and you had Carlos Ramirez Rosa on as a guest, who I'm a big fan of, and uh, so he listened to it, and then he gave uh some commentary about it and stuff. And that was, that was pretty cool that that happened. And, and I remember I was telling my wife that he said, uh, it, it's a, it's a beautiful song. It has a lot of heart. <laughs> and I was my wife, I'm like, yeah, this cool. Alderman says my song has a lot of heart. You know, I won. I'll, I'll take that. That was yeah. cool. So are you ready to rock and roll with ballad of what's the name of it again? The ballad of an indicted alderman. I 
things were done Until the FBI took my love away I fell in love with the old way things were done Until the FBI took my love away Face coverings. Sit up! <laughs> oh my god, that was awesome. That, I forgot how good that song was. We don't play your uh, songs enough. I don't know why, uh, but I fell in love with the old way things were done until the FBI took my love away. And this is my favorite line in the song, pound for pound. I just love this line. I'll take a play and spend time with my family. <laughs> that was for you. That was that was straight out of your... I don't think half the time you even catch that I'm just taking words out of your mouth on your show and I'm writing them down and putting them in a song. And that was definitely one. And that no, was one. I, I remember, I remember talking with my dad about that. He got a kick about that. I'm like, yeah, this guy, Ben, he's always talking about uh, every time one of these guys goes down in scandal and get caught with corruption and they're maybe going to go to prison. They step out before they can, you know, get in big trouble. And, and they, they resign and they say it's to spend time with their family. And Ben sends, Ben says, why do you have to wait until the FBI invites you to spend time with your family? Yeah, it's so true. That was Danny. Oh, my God. Danny Solis was the one, the most prominent one of that. Danny Solis, 25th Ward, uh, stepped down. And then Rom. Oh, God. It's just sometimes... Mike, it's just, it like gets to me, like the cynicism of these guys, you know? So Danny Solis, uh, I forget how many months before the election, I'm not going to run because I want to spend more time with my kids and my grandkids. And then Rom, who Danny's been Rom's flunky for years in the city council says, Oh, that's just such a beautiful thing. The man wants, he gave us all to the city of Chicago and he only wants to spend more time with his family. And then about a month later, headlines in the sun time, Solis wearing wire. <laughs> So all this whole time, man, so he's been wearing a wire. He's been a mole for the FBI because he did something that would have thrown him into jail. So he's got to deal with the FBI for a better <laughs> sentence. Is that, he didn't wear the wire, ladies and gentlemen, because it was the right thing to do. Let's just, okay, let's just get that one out of Yeah, no, I, but you, you put it in words. Had a little, I'll take the plea and spend time with my. Uh, family. Why pick on me? This is the one. It's another great one. Why pick on me? I'm not the bo boss. Anyhow, the system works. Uh, I shouldn't have to answer to these jerks. Yeah, man. That's the other thing. Uh, Michael This the, uh, the self pity uh, in the voice of so many of these politicians that go down, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, they feel so sorry for themselves. Number one, like what did I do? You capture yeah, they, they think they think it's no big deal. So I'll be reading, uh, you know, journalism that's really analyzing the decades of the way that things worked, which was all corrupt. And it's going into all these details. And then you have some of these dinosaurs who are still sitting. They're still there. 
And, you know, I'm thinking of like before they were indicted, the journalists would ask them about it and they would act like it was no big deal. They're like, and that was what inspired that line was uh, years ago. It was probably some uh, show on WBZ. I heard something. And uh, I I remember that Ray Hanania was one of the people who was interviewed in it. And he was basically like defending all these, uh, you know, Eddie Verdoliak and all these guys arguing that they were not actually racist. They just, you know, used other people's racism as like, you know, weapons to, to, uh, to, you know, get what they really wanted, but it was just all a strategy and they were just about, you know, political strategy to stay in power and everything. And, uh, it was that same one where then they interview Ed Burke and, and they're asking him and he's just like totally shameless. He's just like, well, I think the patronage system was a good system. (laughs) And it's like, what? (laughs) The whole world is like learning about how these things work. And it's so obviously wrong and corrupt. And you're just like, "Eh, it's no big deal. Yeah, and then he, of course, uh, uh, he's the one that uh, that Danny Solis is wearing a wire on because he was running his own little patronage uh, system where effectively, like, shaking down people, using whatever power he had. Like, that's what the patronage system was, folks. They You, you owed your job to the man, to the system, and so the man said, you got to go on election day and work for my candidate or you're not going to keep your job. So I don't know how that's fair. Okay, but it's been... Uh, the courts have ruled against it and has pretty much dismantled the democratic machine. Uh, so I can ask you this before we uh, move on to uh, tax the rich, because it's all kind of the part and parcel of the same thing. I've known you now for, I forget how many years, I don't know, three years at least. And uh, I, I listen to your songs. Uh, I've had conversations with you. I get your texts that you send in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. Uh, so I'm going to ask you uh, the same question that people always ask me. Are you cynical uh, about life or are you just a reporter? Um, I, I am definitely not cynical. I'm not, uh, I think that, uh, like sometimes if I send you, uh, a a rant in a text (laughs) message where I'm all worked up by, you know, you have someone on like Carlos or, or miles or Micah, and I get all fired up and I send you this long thing complaining about it. It's, it's because I'm, I know that I'm splitting hairs and I I think that, uh, it's, it's out of frustration that I, uh, like agree with them and with you. And then I just see how, like, you know, I, I read, in these times and I listen to your show and then I like go walk out into the real world where, you know, maybe, maybe we're in different bubbles of, you know, different communities and stuff. So I'm, I'm surrounded by different people than you are. And I know that, but like, it's just so disconnected from the world that I live in. And so I send you a message and I'm like, tell them it's never going to happen. <laughs> not because I don't, think it should happen or want it to happen. That's not, that's the opposite of the truth. It's, it's because, uh, it, it just, it's frustrating, um, to, to listen to this and, and feel like I'm the choir to whom you guys are preaching. 
And then it's so difficult for me to just go talk with friends, coworkers, and people and convince them of what you're talking about. Like I buy it, but it's so we have society, we have just like gone so far backwards in, in uh, anything to do with like economic justice that like, it's like you're speaking a, a language other than English. If, if anybody listens to your show or, you know, picks up, uh, I'll go ahead and use it as an example uh, cause he'll be a good sport and he has no choice, but to love me, but my dad, <laughs> so I love my dad, but there was this one time that he's in a different bubble, you know, he's a businessman. And so there was this one time that I was talking with my dad about something and, um, he, I said something about inequality and he was like, what do you mean inequality? Like what? what kind, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, like economic inequality. And he was looking at me like I had three heads. <laughs> he had no idea what I was yeah. talking about. Yeah. And I realized this is not something that he hears about or reads about. And it's not something that he is exposed to, like at least in that language, he doesn't hear those words used in that context. And I do a lot. And, but he reads the wall street journal and he reads the tribune on Sundays. And, um, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's hard. Even the people who I know the best, um, it's still difficult a lot to talk about this kind of stuff. And, and it's like this thing, it's like the way of the world is, well, now we have social media and stuff. And so now you can go out and find all these anonymous strangers and make friends with them. And now you found your like tribe and stuff. It's like, well, no, that's, that's a bad idea. It's like, uh, uh, it's okay to like have like fabric of just like fall apart because you can just go talk to the people that you agree with and then like scorn the people who are around you. It's just so it's like sick. Well, it's a challenging to put it mildly uh, to see an injustice. Uh, And in my case, I'm older than you. I've seen it for a lot longer than you have. And I've been writing about it forever. If I may use you as my therapist, which more and more guests get be are used as my therapists. I'm like, why am I doing this still? I should just quit. And with the fabulous fortune I've accumulated as a reader writer. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, check that. I don't have a pension like the Chicago police officers and firefighters who vote against people that cut pension money. I'm like, I'm sorry, Michael, here I am ranting, but I don't have a pension. So long after cops are firefighters, have retired with their pension and are voting for Trump people that are like cutting pensions, I will be working. And so I feel like it's like, it's really hard. You know, I, I see other columnists trying to be all dispassionate and everything and like make a cogent argument that'll win over mag. I'm like, well, that is not going to work, you know? So I'm more and more just like, screaming, howling, huh? Like when the bulls lose a tough one, I just go outside and howl. That's kind of what I'm doing. Ah! 
I don't know what else to do, Michael. It's really, I don't think I'm convincing anyone. You're absolutely correct. When I, how I I think you're forgetting the, the philosophical, the principle uh, introduced by the philosopher Dennis, (laughs) which is rules for thee, not for me. And you're assuming that believe that they're voting against their own pensions, but they absolutely do not believe that. They may, they may even that they're voting against pensions in general, just not their pensions, you know, not my pension. It's other people. And, and I know you rip on baby boomers all the time, but, um, and, and I understand why, you know, a lot of people do, but there's another generation that you, nobody ever rips on, including you. And, you know, I love my grandparents, but <laughs> their generation gets way too much credit. Yeah. And, and I think the baby boomers get blamed for a lot of stuff. Talk about a generation of people who saw hard times and everything and had like the chips kind of stacked against them and then did all this stuff that, that DSA and everything are talking about doing and bringing back and like, and they benefited from all this, you know, government, uh, all these government programs and they benefited from like, uh, uh, labor laws that, you know, gave workers and unions power over employers and, and they reaped all the benefits. And it's like they climbed up this ladder. And then when they got to the top, they pulled the bolts out through the ladder. Over <laughs> yeah. the because, uh, yeah. and, and, and I always thought like, well, how could they do that to their own kids? I think it's because they didn't think they were doing it to their own kids. They were doing it to other people's kids. Yeah. Well, not my kids, my kids will be all right because I'm all right, because I work hard. That's why I'm doing as well as I am. Cause I work hard, you know, not because of this program that helped me out or anything. It's no, it, it was all me. And, um, so my kids will be okay, but why should other people's kids have to, why should I have to pay money to go to schools to <laughs> teach other people's kids, take care of your own kids. That's kind of the mentality that, that they had. And they never really, they never really uh, got criticized for that. I think no, not only did they not get criticized, their generation is called the greatest. <laughs> yeah. They were the first. I love how we arbitrarily started naming generations. And then the first one, the ones who started naming them called themselves the greatest generation. It's like, okay. Uh, and by the way, this is a tangent within a tangent. And before the show, I told you this tangents within tangents. We're not going to get to half the things on this list. Just I warned you about this. So yesterday, as I on the same walk where I received your text about our show, and then I, from on the same walk that I called Dennis and blah 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 blah. On that very walk, I, I don't know if they have this in Beverly. They're they're all over the north side now. Uh, people build little. Uh, they're not. I don't know, bird houses or something. And they put them on their lawns and they put paperbacks. The little uh, free library. Yeah. A little free library. Yeah. I love yeah, them. We got I always, 
Yeah, they're they're all over the north side. And, I got, and it's one of the few things I really like about the north side. So God bless you guys for doing that. This is not hating on the people who do that. I love it. And I stop along my walk. At, there's like six of them on the walk I do. And I look what books are in there. Most of the books haven't changed, but every now and then they changed. And so this gets to your point. So right before I got your text that totally changed my night and my walk. Um, I saw, and I'll show you that I'm not making this up. You can't see, uh, but, but it's true. I took a picture of this. So I look into this, uh, this sh- whatever is this, uh, this little box that they have of the books. And there's a book by Eric Greitens. And he is the, one of the Eric's, who ran for Senate in Missouri. He's the former governor of Missouri. He had to step down from because of a sex scandal. Then he decided to re- resurrect his career. He ran as a total, and I mean total, MAGA lunatic in the hopes that that's what it was going to take to win uh, the, um, the nomination in, and in the primary that just happened on Tuesday. And it's fresh in my mind because... Uh, he was running against a guy named Eric Schmidt, I think his last name is, and Donald Trump endorsed Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. You and it's your bets. You had your bets, and as Monroe said yesterday, they're all irreplaceable parts to him. He doesn't care. What does he care? Anyway, Eric Reitens is a freaking lunatic. It's, I mean, if you just look at his campaign ads with the guns and the, his work. Anyway, he wrote a book. He was a he was in the military, and he wrote a book bef- that helped launch his career. Okay, so it wasn't like the kind of book where I really have something to say and I want to say it because I got this burning theme. The- no, this was clearly intended to help launch his political career. And the blurb on the book, which and I'm sure this guy wishes he could take the blurb back, is from Tom Brokaw who wrote a book called The Greatest Generation, right? Tom Brokaw for years was NBC. So I'm like, this is me on a walk. It never stops with me, Michael, okay? I'm on a walk. I picked this out. He goes, quote from Tom Brokaw, meet my hero, Eric Reitens. His life and this book remind us that America remains the land of the brave and generous, unquote. I'm like, wow, that is just pure propaganda. For one thing, Michael, I would bet you that Tom Brokaw did not, N-O-T, read the freaking book, okay? I just knew that someone probably sent him a press release saying this guy served in the military. And, you know, so he just, like, oh, he's in the military. He's great. <laughs> no matter what kind of lunatic he is, right? And he just stamps it on there. Uh, and this is on the paperback edition that somehow or other wound up in somebody's house on the north side of Chicago. And then he or she put it in this little box that I saw yesterday. So that's your point that, uh, yes, there's just like the greatest generation. Uh, it's just like propaganda that we're fed young man. That's, that's how I view it. We're just fed stuff all the time and we're supposed to regurgitate it and just accept it and not say anything bad about it because then they're going to say, Oh, he's condemning, uh, veterans. I'm not condemning veterans. I'm condemning this lunatic who to me is not emblematic of veterans. He's emblematic of himself, Eric Reitens. Anyway, sorry about that. Just popped into my mind. Any thoughts yeah, no, on that? And, yeah, because you know what? The same thing uh, more generally will happen if anybody does ever, not even criticizing the greatest generation people, but basically saying, you know, something that really made a whole lot of people upwardly mobile and, 
and created like this real solid middle class was the GI bill. Yeah. And, and so now, you know, we don't really have something like that. There is a legitimate, uh, you know, rebuttal against that. I mean, it's like, well, okay. Are you suggesting that you give the GI bill to everybody without them having to like <laughs> go fight in France and like maybe die? Like that, that was the whole point of it. It's not yeah. like, it's not the same thing. So that's, that's the sort of thing, I guess, just broadly, it always seems like um, they're, they're like two sides to every argument, every disagreement in politics. And they always just kind of go past each other and they never really engage in like the substance of what the other is saying. It seems like nobody's ever trying to prove the, the, uh, the points of the other side wrong. They're always just trying to cast the people who are saying the things as like bad people. And I just think that that's gotten us to a bad place. I mean, it, it is true that, uh, I mean, yeah, you can look at some, some like movements that have kind of come up and you can say, well, don't let them off the hook and make excuses for them because this is totally, you know, nuts. But in, in general, I mean, like compared to the past, you know, we just, we hate each other and people feel like they want to kill each other. And, uh, it's, we're just kind of going in the wrong direction with that sort of stuff. And I think it's because we, we don't know how to talk to each other about, about big, important, uh, decisions that we disagree about. And, um, I remember reading about polls that have been done about trust and, uh, they go back to maybe, you know, just after the war and, uh, trust in like your fellow American citizens used to be very high. Even if you can believe it, trust in government was high trust in Congress. And, and now it's, you know, it's just been continuing to plummet throughout my lifetime. And it began even before I was born. And, uh, I mean, it's at, uh, dangerous lows and, and the thing that I've always found fascinating is how the, the least popular institution in the United States is Congress. Everybody hates Congress. (laughs) Yeah. But what I found fascinating is that people don't hate their own congressmen. Most people like their own congressmen when they respond to polls. So they'll say, Oh, I hate Congress. It's worthless. And then they'll say, my Congressman's a good guy though. I like him. I'll vote for him again. Most people think that, which means that they like their other Congressman, but they hate everybody else's Congressman (laughs) and they don't seem to make that connection. And that means you're looking out for yourself and you hate everybody else. And I don't think that we're ever really like honest that that's sort of what's at stake in a lot of, uh, a lot of political battles. And, um, that's, that's where we're at. We don't trust each other. We hate each other. And, uh, over the last, you know, several years, we've seen, uh, what can happen on the ground between people when, 
when this is kind of how, how everybody is. And then there are people who are militant about it. And yeah. the fact that for a while there, uh, political violence just became like normal in our country. I mean, that was something that I read about in history books and assassinations and stuff. And I, and I thought that I lived in this whole more advanced United States now, and there is no political violence in our country anymore. We've moved past that. And then, I mean, we just got used to seeing it. I mean, you like street fights (laughs) between like radical groups and, uh, and, it got to the point where you'd see the headline about one and you'd be like, Oh, well, was it in Portland? Okay. It was just another one in Portland again. <laughs> Poor Portland. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very messed up. Yeah. So I, I can see now how crazy things become normal and everybody just wants to look at, well, how does this, how does this fall into my position in like a, a binary uh, struggle in politics. How, how does this, uh, how does this defend my, you know, in the two party system, who, who I vote for the ideology that I identify as having, how does this support that? Oh, does it not? Does it work against it? Okay. Well, I'm going to ignore that one and I'm not going to talk about it. And if somebody brings it up, I'm going to say, but what about this? And, uh, no, that that you have that element in you. Uh, and by the way, just trying to make a song, just so like you you just, you sang uh, of an indicted alderman uh, editorial board, which is one of my favorite songs you've ever done, which just uh, points out illustrates the inanity of the editorial boards and how they're supposed to enlighten us. Instead, they kind of make us dumber. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so you, you you just try to convey what you just said. Like you gave that riff you just went on was totally not a Michael Girardi riff uh, in a song. It was like a nuanced uh, analysis, uh, you know, reflecting on like from a distance uh, where we are with some regrets. I, I guess it could be a Michael Girardi ballad, uh, sort of like that song you did about the neighborhood. Uh, but uh, it's not an angry screaming guitar. <laughs> I'm just saying right there, you know, because like, I'll give you the one example that you used. All right. Uh, I could do boomer examples uh, like crazy, but let's just deal with um, the greatest generation. All right. So the greatest generation uh, has got that name because they defeated fascism. That's that. That's how they've earned that name. And I give them a lot of love for doing that. Cause I was the next on the line and <laughs> I probably would have been wiped out if they had lost that war. So I always get, I true. I'm guilty as charged. Uh, Michael getting a little uh, teary eye when I watch uh, saving, uh, Oh my God, private Ryan or any, uh, you know, uh, movie I've been watching world war two movies forever. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, just the list goes on and on. Go back to the Great Escape, which I've seen mm, estimated 50 times in my life. I don't know if you ever saw that one way before your time. Steve McQueen. Oh my God, you got to run the walk to see that one. Your dad would be so mad at you for never having seen the Great Escape. <laughs> right now, I could see him fuming. What? What kind of son did I raise? Uh, Steve McQueen. Do you know who Steve McQueen is? Yeah, but uh, not real oh. familiar with the films he's been in. And I'm talking to a millennial. Anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's a great sixties actor. Baby boomers loved him. Uh, and, uh, so I idealize, I must admit, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Uh, but the fundamental hypocrisy of the greatest generation, uh, that combined, uh, to join the government as, as one, uh, to fend off this calamity. All right. This just horrific threat to civilization and then came back as rewarded uh, for their efforts with the GI Bill, with GI uh, for, to pay for their education, to pay for their housing. It was a collectivization. There's the United States acting together. All right. And we had flaws. Obviously, there's segregation that <laughs> let's not forget that, the, you know, it took Truman to integrate the army. But point is, it's the spirit of collectivization. So by the time they hit their 60s, what did they do? They voted for Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan's all about me, me. You, I got mine. And just like you said, throw the ladder out. And I'm like, how do you deal with the mindset of somebody who their entire existence is the testament to the power of people putting aside their differences to act as one with people being subscribing to a selfishness in an ideology and then turning that in to a successful, uh, campaign slogan, which is still effective today. So that on the, in the city of Chicago, you have pensioners voting against taxing the wealthy, even as the state struggles with how we're going to pay their pensions. And Michael, it is such a contradiction. I find it staggering. I, (laughs) I don't know how to deal with it, you know, and, uh, and the guests that you just mentioned, uh, Miles and Micah, dear friends of the show are always chiding me. I don't know if you've heard this one where they chide me for blaming the voters. Ben, you can't blame the voters. The voters are always right. The left always is chiding me for blaming the voters. Michael's right. I don't know who the hell else to blame. How can I not blame some guy, a retired policeman on a pension for voting against funding pensions? I I, I, look the words. I can't can't get them out. Help me, Michael Girardi. (laughs) Come on. Be rational and nuanced and help me understand this fundamental contradiction in somebody's brain. Everything he got is through collectivization, but he doesn't want it for anybody else. And furthermore, he'll vote against it for anyone else. Please help me explain that one. Uh, Fear. It's fear. It's uh, the everything kind of centers around the status quo somehow the status quo has some like moral weight to it, even when it should not. Uh, so like after the depression and the war, well, there was a sudden, you know, change in the status quo and that was able to happen because of how drastic the things were that, that they were reacting to the depression and the war. But as soon as that settled, well, now there's just the new status quo. And that status quo is powerful. That's the foundation. And you stray from that. Now you're getting crazy. Even if you're kind of just going back to, you know, 10 years ago. Well, that's crazy because that's not the way things are now. Well, should they be this way? That doesn't matter. It's just because it's safe. And um, so... I think we have a hard time putting ourselves in other people's shoes because we're afraid to do that. Yeah. And 
I see this happening and this person, you know, needs some help or, you know, some new opportunity or something, but I don't need that. And well, you know, what, if, what if something goes wrong here? What if I support this idea that we should do? And then it turns out to not be the way that I thought it would end. Am I willing to take a chance that I'm going to end up worse off than this? And then here's now that I'm a dad, uh, here's a real easy one to do. Look at my kids and be like, all right, look, I'm willing to put myself out on a limb and sacrifice my own future and my own well-being. At least that's what I'll tell you to your face. But, um, but you want me to sacrifice my kids? You want me to risk my kid's future that like, I don't even know how much of it I'm going to be around for. Uh, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and my kids could end up in your hands, the public. Do I, would, will they be okay if, if things are kind of the way they are right now, the status quo? Yeah, I think they'll be okay. Well, what if we make radical changes the day before I get hit by a bus I don't know what's going to happen to my kids. I I can't take that risk that they could maybe have some like wild dystopian, you know, terrible life. And and I, I can't even do anything about it. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe a lot of it is bullshit, but uh, you're, I hope the next Michael Girardi song is about fear because you're, you're really on it. When people are afraid, they won't admit they're afraid you know, cause they're too proud to admit they're afraid, but you could see that fear is motivating them. Um, I mean, you, you kind of get into that in your song about the old neighborhood, which changed overnight when the first black people started moving in and people started moving out and it happened all over the city of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just not pick on the Southwest side. All right. And, uh, it's fear. And we've never had in my humble opinion, definitely in the city of Chicago, but I don't think in the country, uh, a candidate or a uh, politician who could, who rose above the fear and kind of calmed that they either play, played to it, ignored it or try to exploit it, which just gets to your first point about Eddie Verdoliak. <laughs> he was like, hey, I'm not a racist. I just exploit racial fears in order to get more power and more contracts. That's not racism. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, there's a debate going now. This one cracks me up. Uh, Darren Bailey just says some utter driv- drivel about the Holocaust. Uh, ba- uh, abortions are worse than the Holocaust. And then all these guys are reading him today, weighing in. Well, it's not anything Jewish. You know, he's just saying that abortions are bad. I'm like, hello, who do you think got slaughtered in the Holocaust? It's just well, I just want to overlook that part of it. So, um, Man, there's a song you got to write about uh, Eddie Verdoliak. I, I I know he's before your time, but I would love to hear your thoughts. All right, let's move on to the next item that you sent me, which I just absolutely you probably don't like it nearly as much as I did. Uh, I, I don't. I, let's see what time it can't get rolled in. I think this may have been one of his. Uh, uh, no, hey, hold on, I gotta find this. This may have been one of the like four in the morning ones. Uh, where the hell is it? Uh, I gotta find it. Oh my god! You know, there should be better planning on the Bedrowski show. The problem is, is that I'm looking through so many texts that you, ah, here we go. Uh no, I sit corrected. Uh, it came in. I didn't read it until midnight. 
<laughs> that's the thing. Uh, but you sent it to me at a, at a relatively uh, sane hour, uh, seven o'clock in the uh, in the afternoon or in the evening, uh, and it was a link to a Sun Times article that I had scanned. I had seen it, but just scanned it, you know, and just moved on with my life. Uh, drug use of Lollapalooza, mixed messages from City Hall. Uh, and then typical, classic uh, Michael Girardi, wise-assism. Uh, the, the, the article talks about uh, fentanyl use uh, among young kids at rock concerts. And Mike writes, I've never done drugs, but reading this story made me want to mainline fentanyl. Okay, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's a joke, okay? I could just see, oh, my God, they're advocating these. No, it was a joke. He's being dark. It's classic Girardi dark humor. Uh, and the point of it was uh, that uh, Allison Awadi, the health commissioner of the city of Chicago, was completely underplaying the hazards of uh, fentanyl. Uh, and in her message uh, to on the eve of Lollapalooza uh, and uh, – so Fran Spielman picked up on this, the uh, political writer for or city hall reporter for the Chicago sun times. Uh, and she wrote here, I'm reading the article now, mayor Lori Lightfoot and Chicago's top doctor sent mixed messages on Thursday to the thousands of young people streaming into Lollapalooza. It happened after health commissioner, Dr. Allison Awadi was asked about the unusual signs posted at the grant park musical festival by the Chicago department of public health that made that some, I love this, that some think may appear to sanction or at least openly acknowledge illicit drug use by Lala attendees. Uh, these, some, I like the some, some people say, <laughs> uh, that's objective journalism, not allowed to say, I think that. You get what I'm saying, Michael? Fired it and I go, I think it. <laughs> but no, if you're a quote unquote objective journalist, you cannot say, I think this. Anyway, these signs apparently mirror a message also tweeted out by the health department, which urged visitors to stay safe this weekend, warn them about fentanyl and remind them they can email the health department to get both kits to test for fentanyl as well as doses of Narcon, which is used to treat overdoses. Awadi said her department is all about eliminating health risks. And she's quote, we regularly see and have for years that young people who attend festivals often are feeling very free and often experiment with illicit substances. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my God. Public official. They're just in her defense. She's going to get cream no matter where she goes with this. But the problem is that, so many of these illicit substances now are laced with uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl is a very strong opioid, she said. For people who are, quote, routinely on, quote, very strong medications or using heroin, taking a gun, drug laced with fentanyl is dangerous, but probably not fatal, the commissioner said. If you have a young person who does not routinely use opioids and they experiment with a substance, even one that they think is something that their friend is giving them, we are increasingly seeing fentanyl lice in these substances. People think this is going to be a pill that uh, helps them have fun uh, and blah, blah, blah. So the sign said, uh, there's signs that saying you can get Narcon, et cetera. Uh, and uh, so then that is, quote, unquote, in the, pub, the part of the message that says, we are not going to arrest you for doing something that's illegal. Instead, we're going to provide you, we're not going to make any uh, judgment about you for taking the drugs, any judgment about you for breaking the law, any judgment about you for endangering your life and like, I don't know, forcing us to send ambulances to save you. We're not going to make any judgment about you at all. We're completely neutral 
uh, on terms of being judgmental about you. Like it's like they're following Micah and Miles' advice: never shame the voters. Okay, never shame the drug users in any way, uh, so we can take care of you. So then they ask Lori Lightfoot, uh, <laughs> who is the boss of Allison Arwadi and has approved all these measures must make that point. Michael Girardi, she, all these things happen because Lori's letting them happen, but is also a mayor running for reelection. What she feels about this. And she says the mayor appeared more concerned. Oh God, this, that's, they set this up, Mike, they set this up. So Arwadi takes the hit for being, you know, Miss liberal on drugs. But here comes Lori. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The mayor appeared more concerned about sending an unambiguous message to young people and their parents and less concerned about acknowledging the reality of illicit drug use at outdoor profess- festivals. I feel compelled as the mother of a 14 year old, uh, Lori Lightfoot says to say, don't even experiment. Don't pick it up. Don't try it. Go there, have fun. But using illicit drugs is a huge risk. And frankly, you don't know if you're one of those folks who is predisposed to addiction. So I just say, go have fun, but leave the drugs to the side. I got so much I could riff on this. My, I mean, it is a mixed message. Uh, it is a mixed message when you complete you figure about how the city has treated black people when they get caught using illegal drugs the way <laughs> there's no like, oh, it's okay. You're just experimenting. Oh, that's okay. It's just a phase you're going through here. Let me help you. You know, you need some counseling. No, it's like lock them up, throw them in the car, take them to jail, get them off the street. He's got drugs. And like how they treat Lollapalooza ticket goes because it's, they're paying money. They're staying at hotels. It's a big <laughs> It's money. They endorse Lollapalooza. They promote Lollapalooza. They give Lollapalooza Grant Park. So, yeah, it's a giant mixed message, and it freaking sucks, in my humble opinion. But, Mike, here's my question to you. What choice do you have? Do you just want those kids, like, freaking out and just, as Dennis put it, just dropping, like, flies in the mud of Grant Park from a drug overdose? All right. Well, I guess before I answer that, the first thing I'll say is I think that the uh, some aldermen should maybe uh, sponsor an ordinance to make our Wadi take a drug test. <laughs> um, Raylo, you hear that? <laughs> and I just, I mean, obviously, there's got to be some, there's got to be some. Uh, extremely reasonable approach somewhere between just say no and, you know, uh, three strikes and and all that on the one extreme. And then this kind of goofy nonsense where, I mean, I don't know if, if I was a teenage kid and I was reading that, I would think like, yeah, see that stuff's not really that bad. You know, they say that, that that one kid died from an overdose, but like, you know, it was probably just fentanyl and, and, uh, that, uh, you know, that one person who struggled with, uh, you know, being on and off heroin for decades. Well, there was probably something else going on there. I just think it's, uh, I think it's irresponsible. I, 
I don't know. I it's uh this this job that she's in is kind of the last person who I would expect to be that cavalier about narcotics use. <laughs> Who's she in that sentence? Or Wadi or Lightfoot? Yeah, our Wadi. Okay. And go. um no, Lightfoot is that's a pretty predictable position because she's kind of trying to have it both ways. And um uh I don't know. I mean it w- it would be a diff- a whole different thing if they were talking about pot. You know, it would be very different. And um they could they could be doing a 180 on like policy, but I think most people would it would be obvious that it would kind of make sense and I, I don't know. And I'm saying that as someone who, you know, I, I never got into it. Um, I tried it a few times in college, but I didn't like it and I didn't inhale. (laughs) (laughs) But but if that's what they were talking about, like what's the policy going to be on, you know, basically, um, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows that like it became legal a couple of years ago. Yeah. And now everywhere you go, people are smoking it in their car. <laughs> everybody knows this for the last couple of years, everywhere you go, people are smoking pot while driving. And like, that's not what was supposed to become legal. And nobody wants to talk about that because like, well, then which side are you on? You know, should it be legal or should it be illegal? And we don't really have any kind of mechanism for discussing like, well, where do you draw the line? When is it appropriate? And when is it inappropriate around children? And I know that there's a lot of uh, similarity to alcohol, but I, I also think that, you know, some of our, cultural norms around alcohol have sometimes been a little ass backwards and we've seen things change in different ways. And I mean, I I remember seeing, uh, remember the commercials when I was a kid with the girls in bikinis and stuff. And and then they uh, parodied it on Saturday night live with the Schmitz gay. Um, I, I mean, that was like, it was weird and things have even changed around attitudes around alcohol and, and drunk driving. And, but, um, so this is, we're, we're in an early stage, uh, for, for pot, how, you know, things are changing with that. But, um, and I think that that's good to look at, I mean, you know, I know somebody who was a heroin addict who died and had young kids and like, so I, I, I'm definitely not one of those people who's like, screw them. Hey, you play with fire, you get burned. I'm not saying that. Like, it's horrible. And, um, but I guess that's my point. Like, this isn't a, this isn't a joke. This isn't, she's like, kids want to feel free. What, what the hell are you talking about? The only way to feel free is to like, I, I, she did say something about a pill, but what kind of pill are we talking about then? Like kids are popping Oxycontin or something like, yeah, nothing, nothing ever went wrong there. I mean, people have thrown their lives away. It, and 
this is another one of those things where um, Democrats have failed to kind of take a take a stand when it comes to this stuff. There are sections of the country that are not here that have been decimated. You go to rural areas, and it was like a plague came through, and you see like hospitals full of you know people ODing and and it was all kind of based around like pills, pain pills. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's no joke. And it's just like, it's a combination of uh, incompetence among people of that sort of political class to, to address it because at the end of the day, they don't really care that much and it's not their kids. Um, Or it's just sort of, Another example of anything that's that's uh, controversial that they're going to weigh in on, they're just going to make sure that they're they're saying this about it. But what they actually mean is they're trying to support this broader kind of ideology that they have, and apparently that means that. Uh, and I understand why someone could be tempted by that to be like, well. The way I see the world, we shouldn't be going and locking up drug addicts. We should be helping them. Absolutely. I do think sometimes drug users and drug dealers get lumped together. At times when maybe they shouldn't, those are kind of two different things. You know, selling heroin to a kid kind of a whole nother level of uh, something that you're doing. It's not just something that you're doing to yourself, but, and I understand that a lot of the time these are young people who they're young and stupid and they don't know any better. And so they end up getting roped into something like that. I mean, like I get it. I get the, I get the wanting to lean towards uh, correcting past overreactions and bad policies that have backfired and made it worse and everything. But I just don't think this is it. Just- well, uh, I I could tell you right now it's a great riff, by the way. Uh, I don't know how you're going to reduce that to a song. Uh, I could tell you right now that that uh, press conference with Lori Lightfoot uh, and Dr. Awadi was orchestrated. And... Uh, it shows what I believe are just the fundamental hypocrisies about America's attitude uh, toward any anything that helps people get through life. And it, 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 it is like Lori Lightfoot's giving the official just say no, don't do it. And Awadi is much more or less saying, I know you're going to do it. So if you do it, here's what you do. Okay. And this inconsistency is across the board. So then you get into the issue. Why do people take drugs? What kind of highs are they looking for? It is a change from the time. Like you said, at one point I, I wrote it down. I had a smile because he goes, if I'm a young kid reading this, they'd say, well, that's not so bad. I guarantee you, no kid under the age of 30 read a Sun-Times article. Okay, just I had a laugh. I think, well, the newspapers are dying on the vine. No kid is going to read that. But I, I get your, your uh, the kid seeing the sign, let's say. Um, but the reality is across the board. I was just thinking of this when you were going on that riff 
Uh, Michael, I just r- watched again a movie called The Descendants, and I just and I liked it so much. I, I re- read the novel, and it's a, a story about uh, George Clooney plays his character in uh, Hawaii, and it's dealing with this breakup of his marriage and his family. Anyway, neither here nor there. The point is, is that he's dealing with his uh, younger daughters, and he's watching their behavior, and they're drinking, and they're smoking reefer, and they're swearing. And he's like, what are you doing? You stop that. You know? And then he re- he's realizing, oh, my God, they're just imitating me. I've been yeah. drinking my whole life. You know, I drink all the time. I swear all the time. And the reality is life is tough. It's hard. People look for ways to ease it. And then so we pretend that that's not the case. So we try to pretend like somehow or other drinking alcohol is t- different than what? smoking a joint or snorting a line of cocaine. It's they're all from the same family, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, so is gambling for that matter. If I really want to draw it out, cause the high that people get off of gambling is higher than the high they're going to get off of cocaine. In some cases, I know this cause I'm a reformed gambler. So it's like, I don't know how to deal. I find it overwhelming because on one hand we're completely overlooking the reality, which is that pretty much everyone in this country has a vice. Something that they're doing that's potentially harmful to them. Something that they're doing that they don't want their kids to know that they're doing. Something that they're doing that if they, other people saw them would like, they be in judgment of them. And they would, well, I, I, I'm not really a drunk. Or Clinton, this classic. Well, yeah, I did smoke it, but I didn't inhale. What a, that sums it all up. <laughs> you, little, you little weasel. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know the answer to it, but. I really appreciate uh, you sending me that link because I wouldn't have thought about it. You know what I mean? I was just like one of those stories in the paper. I passed it. <laughs> it was so classic. Arwadi going, don't worry, Lollapalooza Uners. You can take as much of this stuff as you want. We got your back. When you fall in the mud, we'll give you some of the other drug we got from some pharmaceutical company, and you'll all be good. And Lori Life went, don't take those drugs. I don't approve. Meanwhile, by the way, go to Lollapalooza, everybody. So you're right, man. And you know what? I just gave you a freaking song with that little riff. <laughs> I want that song on my desk in a week. All right, Michael Girardi. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> yeah. All right, Michael. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. And thank you for the text that you sent me in the middle of the night. Uh, and thank you for, uh, the songs that you write and uh, so generously allow us to play. Uh, you're truly a great guy and a great friend at a Ben Drowski. So, so thank you, young man. And you are younger than me, so I can call you young man. So thank you very much, young man. You're part of the greatest generation. How's that? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how things pan out. Yeah. What generation are you? And I think you view as a millennial. Are you actually a millennial? Yeah, I give my wife a hard time about it because uh, I'm a millennial and she's Gen X. So she robbed the cradle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I, I give her I'm 40 and she's 45. And I give her a hard time about it because she doesn't care. And everybody thinks she's younger than me because she looks better than I do. So, um. And, I, and I'll say when she was a freshman at U of I in Champaign, I was just a little boy in eighth grade. 
at St. Michael's in my little, uh, I was literally an altar boy and a boy scout when she was in college party and stuff. But you know, other than that, it's just funny. Cause it's, it doesn't really matter. We're both around, you know, she's a young gen X. I'm an old, I think I'm about as old as you can be, uh, to be a millennial. I, I just think. did the math and uh, you're two years younger uh, than what is generally considered the, uh, the cutoff point between okay. Gen X, you know, uh, 1980 is considered the cutoff point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it all really doesn't matter anyway. I just have fun with millennials. Uh, and then my life is just filled with millennials. I love them dearly. And that's probably why I give them a pass and just make fun of baby booms. But that's a whole other show we could do. Uh, all right, Michael Girardi, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show, as I said. And I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And it's Michael Girardi and Dr. Allison Awadi will tell you. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. The D stands for tomorrow. Let's give yourself a raise. Take it out. Petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Peace and love.